Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Registration for the ADHD Essentials online parent coaching groups closes next week on Wednesday, March 11th. In these highly effective groups, you will meet with me and your fellow group members via online video chat to talk about everything from developing parental leadership and strengthening family connection and communication to overcoming the walls of awful that affect your household, how to manage anxiety, and of course, practicing parental and familial self-care. You'll be in these groups for eight weeks, beginning on Monday, March 16th. You'll meet with me and your groupmates for an hour on Mondays and Wednesdays. The time is up to you. We have one section at 12 p.m. Eastern and another at 5 p.m. Eastern. So go to ADHDessentials.com slash parentgroups to learn more about how they work or email me directly at brendan at ADHDessentials.com to sign up for a free information session. Registration closes on Wednesday. Also, make sure you're listening to our partner podcasts, ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers and Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb. ADHD Rewired is interview-based with Eric talking to adults affected by ADHD and experts who know a thing or two about managing the disorder. And Will shares practical, actionable tips around ADHD so you can do more of the things you want to do. And don't forget to join the gents from the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network for a live Q&A on Tuesday, March 10th at 1.30 Eastern. Go to ADHDrewired.com events to register. Finally, a big thank you to Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies. He did the heavy lifting, editing this episode, and I greatly appreciate his contributions. Learn more about Jeff and his work at IdealVideoStrategies.com. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Brittany Smith of Devise and Conquer. Brittany is a cognitive neuroscientist, coach, and computer enthusiast. She specializes in helping people get their work done better, more efficiently, and more enjoyably. In today's episode, we're talking about the pitfalls and benefits of smartphones for people with ADHD, both adults and kids. We look at ways to determine what our goals are for our smartphone, ways to manage notifications to increase our availability of willpower, the importance of turning off autoplay, the effects social media can have on our mood, and best practices for setting up your phone. All right, let's get rolling. I'm a productivity, ADHD, and technology coach. I help people get their work done better. Basically, high school through, I think my oldest client was in her 70s. Wow. So (laughs) the angle that I really want to take as we talk is looking at the technology side of productivity and specifically how smartphones sort of both hinder and help. Before we even go there, though, what brought you into this field? How did you become like the technology guru of ADHD? So I decided I wanted to be a smarty pants for a living. 
And I was getting, I was doing a double major in psychology and child development when I was diagnosed with ADHD. And I started finding myself really attracted to the cognitive side. I went to get a master's degree in cognitive neuroscience. And as I was sort of wrapping up that program, trying to decide, did I want to pursue a PhD or not? I was getting really burned out on academia. And I was seeing an ADHD coach to help me get through. And I was talking to her about how I was sort of dragging my heels with the last few steps of my thesis, partly because I wasn't sure what was next. And she said, look, I don't want to tell you what to do or anything like that, but you've been really great in our advanced ADHD groups. Have you thought about coaching? And I thought about it and decided, why not try it for a little while? And I'm still doing it. How long have you been doing it for? Five years. Five years. Wow. And you got the PhD? Am I understanding that correctly? Master's degree in cognitive neuroscience. Master's in cognitive neuroscience. Okay. So you decided not to go the PhD route. Right. I was pretty burned out on academia at that point. Not science. I love science, but academia. And you have this passion for the tech side of productivity and ADHD and the role that plays. You presented at the International Conference on ADHD back in November on kind of sort of what we're going to talk about today. I did. What drew you to that? Is it just the technology is everywhere and it's a thing that you need to care about? Or is it something a little more than that? It's more than that. I've been around technology my whole life. My mom was a programmer in the 80s. We always had computers at our house. And I really have a passion for the ways that our brains and our biology interact with technology, the ways that it can be so, so helpful, and also some of the ways that it can get in the way. Uh, I've been using computers in my pocket since 2001 because they really can help me. They help me remember to get to my appointment on time or make a task faster that would otherwise be really annoying to do. And so I really see the benefits and the beauty of them while also appreciating the dangers and the places where we need to be mindful. What are some of the biggest pitfalls that you find with your clients around the smartphone? Obviously, the time sucks, the rabbit holes, the, oh my gosh, where did this time go? Finding the temptation to go there instead of getting our work done. And most of the pitfalls I see, it doesn't matter if they're 14 or, like I said, 60, 70. The pitfalls are the same. We have ADHD. There are these lures. But what I always want to know first when I'm talking to somebody about their device is what do they want their device to do? What's the goal? Why do we have it? So that then we can look at the negative and filter that out, knowing what the actual goal is. How do I figure out what my goal should be or what my goal is? Ask yourself, why did you buy this device? What were you hoping it would do for you? Or why did your child ask for it? And if you are a parent and you're thinking about your child, have the conversation with them. Your teammates, you both want the same thing. Have the conversation and say, what do you want out of it? And it might be, I want to text my friends and that's fine, but figure out what both of your goals are and lay it out on the table. I know for me, my goal for my smartphone is to stay in contact with people. A lot of it is about social connection. So my family, my friends, and then there's sort of this secondary one around I suppose, entertainment, so things like YouTube and sort of video games. But time-wise, the secondary goal is 
the primary goal. Like I spend more time. I just deleted all the games off my phone yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I only had two of them. And usually I only have one. But I know that that entertainment side is eclipsing the communication side. And and I'm including Facebook in both of those, right? It's sort of a a distraction and a tool, which is what's tricky about it. Am I atypical? Am I pretty much the poster child for an ADHD person with a smartphone? What does that look like? Yeah, it's pretty normal. Uh, I've worked with people on how do I get out of this YouTube rabbit hole instead of doing the dishes. So we'll talk about what do you want it to do. When it comes to Facebook, we're going to have a chat about privacy and how you are going to be more secure if the app is not installed on your phone. If you're concerned about the big behemoth that is Facebook. If you're not, then I won't insist that somebody worry about it and add to their anxieties. But that's one of the things we're going to talk about is uh, the notifications, particularly in a lot of these social apps that lure us back in. There's a difference between, hey, I want to have a conversation with somebody and, oh, I just started doing my work done, but look who just texted me or who just liked my thing on Facebook or didn't like my thing on Facebook and why don't I have more likes on Facebook? And having those things that can pull us out is something to watch out for. In your workshop, you spent a decent amount of time on notifications. Let's play with that because I think it's critical and, and I'm right there with you. What should be notifying us? What shouldn't be? What, what are we going on? What's going on with that? It's going to be pretty personal, but the bottom line is if it's something that you need to be alerted to in real time, absolutely when the thing happened, that's the time when it's should have a, a sound attached to it, to have the banner that drops down from the top, those sort of critical time-sensitive things. If it's not time-sensitive, I'm gonna really recommend going into those settings, which you can do directly from the banner drop-down that, that appears, either on Android or on iPhone, and change what those settings are. On iPhone, they call it deliver quietly. And what that means is it'll appear in notification center, but it won't interrupt you the same. I use that for so many things because I'm going to get my work done. And then when I take a break, because I use Pomodoro or take regular breaks in the middle of your workday, I'm going to look at that and say, oh, what did I miss? What's going on? I'm going to chit chat or I'm going to see what thing happened on Twitter. And then it's a choice. I'm on a break. I know what I'm doing. And it didn't interrupt what I was working on. So I'm a big proponent of the deliver quietly. And deciding what should appear in your notifications at all, because the more things that are there that you don't need, the more they're actually going to be hiding stuff that might be important, like a due date to pay a bill or something. I get notifications from my phone when it rings, because it's a phone. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. And text messages and my calendar. And that's it. And uh, and like you need to update the software on your phone because I don't know how to turn that one off. So that one happens. I don't even know if I can. I imagine that's not a thing I can do. And I probably should have that one be on anyway because I need to update it when updates happen. Am I like super strict and crazy because I only get, what is that, four notifications? Am, or is, do people get more than that? Because I only know my experience with the phone. So I'm like, why would you have other stuff alert you? It's the default. They ask, you hit yes. It's autopilot. When we get messages all the time, we go with these defaults. Well, I might want to know something. And then we never make the mindful choice to go back in and turn them off. Okay. 
one of the biggest compliments I got at the conference was, oh, that other part that you were talking about that didn't really apply to me, I was turning off notifications and nothing would fill me with more joy than to hear that. <laughs> it's, it's one of my big life missions. That's about what I allow to make noise on my phone. I'm a little more liberal with the things that deliver quietly. And specifically, I have group conversations in messages and texts. Those group messages, I will actually turn on do not disturb for the group messages because they're never going to be time sensitive. And they also can be really distracting, but fun when I'm on a break. That's a thing you can do? Absolutely. You can change them by conversation. You hit that little I button when you're in the group message. There's a little do not disturb. Oh, that's awesome. I hate group messages because I didn't know I could do that. Right. But I need to get text messages because if somebody's like needs a ride or needs to talk to you time sensitive, they do. There's a certain assumption that you'll see it within an hour or so. I might not see it if I'm doing a big project. I have notifications on specifically for the one-on-one people, but groups are usually on do not disturb. You just changed my whole life. Like my family's going to annoy me so much less now. It's not even funny. When you put a group on do not disturb, it will not appear in notification center. You don't know that it happened until you actually open the messages app. I would personally allow it in notification center, but it's fine this way too. Can you do that with text messages too? Absolutely. Awesome. My fa- And this is my extended family. Like we'll, we'll start a conversation that's big and important, you know, like dad's going to the hospital or whatever. And that matters. And then it'll like degenerate into nonsense with like emojis and silly gifts and stuff because the dad going to the hospital conversation is over now, but people are still being friendly and loving each other because they're family, which is important and should happen. But I'm like, it keeps chiming at me and I'm like, shut up. I don't care. Like, I don't care that you loved the puppy gif. It doesn't (laughs) matter at all that you love the puppy gif. Don't tell me. But my phone is the thing telling me it's not, it's not my nephew or whatever. So that's awesome to know that I can turn off my phone, at least the noise it makes for that stuff. Thank you. For those that it might make a big difference, if you have an Apple Watch and an iPhone, when there is at least one user in your messaging group that has an Android phone, sometimes there's a glitch that it will still send it to the watch, but it won't make the phone make noise. That isn't true for everyone, but it does occasionally make me shake my fist at Apple. (laughs) Awesome. During your workshop, one of the things you talked about was, and I'm going to get this wrong as I try to describe it, but sort of the cognitive lag of when we get interrupted by something and how long it takes us to disconnect from the interrupt and go back to what we were doing and how that's more significant for ADHD folks, particularly around familiar sounds. Right. Am I getting this right? Yes. So the how long it takes to get back to work, that's mostly lay science. So it isn't looking at folks with ADHD specifically, but it does say when you get interrupted, it takes about 20 minutes to get back into deep work. I have never read that. I've only heard people say it. So the science on that might be wishy-washy, but specifically the EEG study that I was talking about, it showed that we have not only a bigger orienting response with ADHD. So that means that initial like bang, like almost visceral response to a noise. We have that stronger than neurotypical folks, especially when the noise is familiar to us, whereas they start to tune it out a little bit more. And not only do we have that stronger initial response, but it appears that our slightly later controlled attention takes just a little bit longer to get back on track. These studies are in milliseconds, 
but the location of the response shows that it's a sustained disruption. So yes, these familiar text sounds are more likely to disrupt us. It basically grabs our attention longer and harder than noises that are completely novel. But completely novel sounds will also get a different attention and cause more errors in kids that were taking a cognitive test while there were these distracting sounds. Okay. And when we're looking at our smartphone, when we're thinking about that, it's like the same alert chime every time, probably regardless of what app is alerting us and interrupting us. And in this study, a familiar sound was defined as hearing it three times. So really, even if you have a specific text sound for each person, it's still going to disrupt you more when you hear that same one again. Right. Okay. It sounds like we ADHD folks tend to just grab onto those interruptions quicker and we kind of hold on to it longer, admittedly in milliseconds. <laughs> but I've been in the same room as people whose phones are constantly making noise. I sometimes ask people if I can hold their phones and turn off their sounds for them. <laughs> <laughs> If your phone is constantly making this racket, those milliseconds are turning into seconds, which are then turning into minutes because you're getting so many chimes. As folks with ADHD, when our attention is disrupted, it does take us longer to get back on track. You don't need to read a science paper to know that. You just have to watch us get distracted, right? Right. We are going to be more disruptive and it is going to dig in to those limited working memory resources more and make it harder to stay focused on the task at hand. So it sounds like, and I'm, I'm taking point on this on purpose because I know you're being careful and being like, it's up to the individual, but I'm going to not be careful. <laughs> I'm wielding my podcast power like a fist at the moment. It sounds like really what we want to do is pay attention to the, the job that our phone is supposed to be doing for us. Figure out which applications on our phone are productive and which are entertaining, turn off the notifications for the entertaining ones, and then think really carefully about whether we want to have an alert for our productive apps and make intentional decisions around those. Am I on to something here? That was beautiful. Also, please, for the love of everything, turn off autoplay everywhere. Netflix, YouTube, YouTube will turn it back on periodically, so you have to be kind of cautious there, but turn off autoplay. The decision to keep watching something needs to be the active decision, not the default decision. Yeah. And that's not just in phones. That's even on your TV and, and on your computer and all that stuff. Yeah. Everywhere. That's great. Yeah. If it just continues to autoplay, the active action is turning it off, but it's hard to turn it off. So why would you have that be the thing that requires more work? Yeah. Cause you're caught in that dopamine role. And you're like, wee. Right. Before we get too far away from the constant alerts, the real danger is not just missing seconds that turn into minutes that turn into hours. It's those constant interruptions and bringing ourselves back use up our daily cognitive resources and they use up hours faster. And what that looks like is you get to the evening and you don't have any willpower left. So you do just zone out for hours because you can't pull out of it anymore. It leads to those rabbit holes because we just don't have any more of these cognitive reserves. Or if you're not zoning out, you're arguing, right? You're picking a fight with mom or dad or your spouse or your kids. Or eating a whole pie. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and what you're doing is you're chasing dopamine, right? Like you're on a dopamine hunt 
and this pie is full of dopamine. This argument is full of dopamine, and I need more of that because <laughs> my phone drained it, and I didn't even know it was draining it. And connected to that, where I was going to go in a second ago when you we were talking about YouTube and the autoplay is, folks might not know about this, but it's important that they do. I'm sure you know about it, is the YouTube algorithm is designed to aggravate you. Like that's what gets clicks. That's what gets people engaged. So if you're watching YouTube, eventually, if it just autoplays, and even if you look at your YouTube feed and stuff, they're throwing in videos to piss you off because people are making videos to piss you off because they know that that's what gets clicked because that's how the human brain works. But it's not healthy. It's not a it's not healthy for you as an individual. It's not healthy for our society and our culture. It's a bad plan, but that's still what's happening. So we really need to be mindful and on guard, especially with YouTube because of the nature of the algorithm that they use. Yeah, and the same issue with social media. And they're not being vindictive. The algorithms are like, well, what gets people interested? What gets clicks? We'll just program for that. It's just what ends up getting the clicks is when we're getting very high valence emotions that are often anger or um, defensiveness. And every time we open up Facebook, for example, we are taking a risk that our mood is going to take a nosedive. Let, let's play with that for a couple of minutes. This is stuff that's really critical for people to know about. And I just don't think it's broken through enough. This is like artificial intelligence stuff that the algorithm is running. Yes, they're learning algorithms that are just saying, what gets clicked? Okay, let's do more of that without really always paying attention to what that is. Because a computer doesn't really know what emotion is and doesn't care. And it's the same with gaming. What gets more interactions? It sucks you in. It's harder to leave the game. It's harder to do other life tasks because the game has sucked you in because they program for what gets more play. And what gets more play is the things that suck you in and make it harder to do real work. We've mentioned that that's things that are aggravating, things that are making us feel defensive, things that are making us feel angry. What else sucks us in? <laughs> Anything that gets emotions up. It can be, oh, I got a notification that my friend posted a picture of her baby. That's great. But now I'm in and maybe I see some thing happened in the news that upsets me and I'm just going to keep going. On that subject, endlessly scrolling news apps can also be problematic and at times suck. That's not one you're worried about your kids getting into particularly, but it is another thing that can disrupt your mood and people do tend to endlessly scroll. And Apple, shame on them, has news notifications on by default. Please never, ever, ever have any news notifications. We've sort of shifted from attention stuff to, to mood. And I want to I wanna make sure that we play, play in here for a little bit because it's important to recognize that social media, YouTube, the news, our smartphones are affecting our mood. And that mood that we end up getting, right, if our mood takes a nosedive, that's going to then affect our productivity and our ability to do work. Absolutely. It will derail you. It kind of puts you on edge. And sometimes you can't help yourself. You want to go in and reply to that thing, which then, you know, doesn't help your mood. It doesn't help their mood. These impulsive, defensive replies that are so easy to suck you in. The little quiz ads you see at the bottom of some websites where it says 10 ways to do this. Like they're called clickbait for a reason because they get you to click on them. Or it says, I bet you can't do this. Well, yes. 
it's really easy to want to do things when people dare us. It's especially easy for ADDers to want to do things because people dare us. And it can be good. Like I have had teachers say, I don't give A's. I try to give everyone D's. And I said, well, screw that. I'm getting an A because I'm that kind of rebellious person. <laughs> <laughs> it's not always bad, but it's not good when it's an internet thing sucking you in. Right. I trained myself out of that with memes. It doesn't really happen as much anymore, but for a while there, the cool, all the cool kids who were making memes would write like, tragically, 10,000 children die of splinters every year, and most people don't care. I bet you won't share this meme to prove that you care. And I was like, I'm not going to be challenged into doing something that is not even a good deed, but vaguely feels like one. That's ridiculous. Armchair activism is a real thing. And it does. It leads to us doing something online instead of actually making change in the real world. And it doesn't add to happiness. It doesn't add to positive change. And if your cause is worthy and sound and something that should have its message elevated, you shouldn't have to dare people to do it. People should just be like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's terrible. The kids are dying of splinters. I want to let the world know. I think personally, there are dangers with those two, even when they are good, legitimate causes. Because the people who are tend, tend to feel threatened by it will feel threatened by it. And, oh, these things are changing and that's threatening, but really nothing's actually changed. Just people on both sides feel like they've made steps, that steps have been made to change this thing that they are either for or against, and anger happens and no change. I'm going to continue to share ADHD memes, though, because I actually am changing that one. In, in that case, actually, yeah, information is very powerful and making sure that, because there's still so much disinformation around ADHD and so many symptoms that people don't know about. And yeah, my kid couldn't focus. So what? Well, did you notice they're also having huge emotional regulation issues and people just don't know that? Or are they weird with time? There's lots of different things that make it hard to pay attention. It doesn't have to be ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're not seeing creativity and a love of learning, maybe it's not ADHD. <laughs> yeah, right. Circling back to phones, right? Thank you. I was just thinking that. Let's say I have like a web browser on my phone. How many windows should I have open at a given time on my web browser? I can tell you what the maximum is. Oh, what's the ma There is a maximum? That's awesome. What is it? It's 500 tabs on an iPhone in iOS 13. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So there is an option in iOS 13, which is to automatically close tabs if you have not looked at them in one day, one week, or one month. I have one month on. Me too. I think they become an old shoulds list. I don't know how much of a problem this is for younger folks, but adults, they can become this old list of things we feel bad we didn't already read. And so having those auto shut off can kind of clear it out of our our psyche and it does slow down your phone a little bit and use more data to have those reopening all the time. Also, I learned this the other day because I was sort of clearing out mine that I had way too many of. Because you were embarrassed we were going to talk about it? No, it, but I was thinking of you when I did it. Um, <laughs> I was just like, oh, I got, I've got way too many open. I think I was probably in the like 200s and I just start hitting X, right? But I had some way in the back that I wanted to keep and I knew I wasn't going to delete them. But apparently, if you delete a whole bunch of them really fast, it just clears all of them because that's what happened on my phone. <laughs> oh. Yeah. It was just like, 
done. And I was like, wow. Okay. They're all gone then. All right. Well then I, there were like four in the beginning that I wanted to not lose, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no idea if that's designed or. It's possible I hit some button I didn't know I hit and that was what cleared it, but it totally like frunk. But there is a button that allows for close off and that, can also be like I've done before where I do emergency scanning through them where I'm like, okay, anything I'm going to keep, I'm going to look, I was, I was waiting at the DMV. And so I said, okay, I'm going to close everything. So first I'll make sure and I'll read anything right now that I'm actually ever going to read. And then I'm going to close all. And I did it before I left the DMV. Was it terrifying? It was a little nerve wracking, but I, I find it's best to do things like clean out old cruft when I'm a little bit cranky because the idea of ever having to look at it again makes me irritated. So cranky, I found, is the optimal way for me to get rid of old stuff. Nice. I like the way you're sort of back-end insulting the DMV there without actually insulting the DMV. Oh, I actually wasn't cranky that day. I was fine with it. I just decided what I was going to do while I was waiting. But for like cleaning out my task manager, you know, when it's time to cull the herd, I will do it when I'm cranky or, you know, cleaning out a closet, stuff like that. If it annoys me, I'm more likely to just get rid of it. Let's circle back again to the kid who got the got a new iPhone, got a new Android. What kind of guidelines do we want mom and dad or that kid to have in place for the beginning of this relationship with an external brain? So would it be all right if we jump to some of the positive things? Yeah. Okay. So I want them to have a Siri that is set up and working well for them. If it's an iPhone, a Google Assistant, if it's not, you need to make sure that it knows your address and maybe where your school is and your personal card. And that way you can say things like, remind me when I arrive at school or remind me when I arrive at home and have location-based alerts set up and ready to go. You can do time-based alerts. And setting those alarms as soon as you remember the thing is a great way to remember it later and to make a really positive use of the phone. You don't want to have so many that you're ignoring all of them. Can I jump in real quick? Yeah. On that reminder thing. Also, this takes a little more doing. I don't think you can do it with a phone, but maybe you can. Get to know when your classes take place, oh children, so that you can set a reminder for if you need to ask your math teacher a question about something, you want to know when math class is so you can have that reminder pop up on your phone right before math class, right before math class ends, whenever math class has a break that you could theoretically ask a question during, you want to time it so that that's going to happen at a useful moment and it's not going to go off at lunch and you're going to forget by the time you get to math. I'm sorry for interrupting. I just wanted to jump on that real quick. No, that's perfect. It's a very detailed, nice example of a time when you'd want to do that. If you know you're going to hang out with Frankie on Thursday and you need to ask Frankie something, set it for the time you're going to hang out with Frankie on Thursday. Yeah. So what else? What are are other positive strategies we want to apply? If you are having classes that are different times of the day, different days of the week, having your classes in your calendar, of course, you can also then refer to that when you need to tell Siri what time to set a timer. Having those classes and the room numbers, this is why I got that PDA in 2001, so I could remember what days I had which classes and get an alert. Having those classes in, sometimes it's hard for the teenagers to want to do it, but it can be really beneficial. I would not push it if your teenager does not want to, but I would suggest it. And 
bring it up when things get forgotten because they'll just fight you if you just flat out tell them to and get really strict about it and it's not their choice at all, at least in my experience. <laughs> but you can bring it up as an option. Having due dates in there, they'll be more likely to use it freely if their calendar is not shared with you as the parent. Teaching them to build their own trusted system can never happen too early. It also helps because we tend to picture things visually and having a calendar that shows when things take place and how long they are, like the size of the calendar item is longer for the longer class, can really help us understand how time works better by being able to see that visualization. And that's something you can do with a family calendar, even when your kids are really young, like three or four, they can start to visualize time a little bit better. The way Google Calendar, which is what I use, makes time more concrete and visual for me is magic. It's one of the two things that sold me on Google Calendar, or three things. One was being able to see it. The second was, I can just have things repeat. So if I'm going to go to the dojo every Monday from seven o'clock to nine o'clock, which is what I do, I can just hit repeat every Monday from now until I die. And it'll, the calendar will still be alive. So it'll actually be after I die. <laughs> it's miraculous. <laughs> so that, yeah. and then the other one is that it can send alerts to my phone to clue me in about, Hey, you should be going to the dojo, put your gi on, get in the car. <laughs> That's awesome too. And teaching your kids about those strategies is also really good. And kids, if you're listening, learn how to use your Google calendar. Even now, if you're in high school, when it's kind of boring and lame, cause you don't have much control over your schedule. Cause you're just at school. It's still great to start learning how to use that tool. And like you just said, mom and dad should have a family calendar that they're sharing with the kid so that even at four years old, not that the kid has a calendar to share with, but even when they're younger, they can start to see what this strategy is all about. And then as they get older, they have their own calendar. You can share that calendar with each other. And so the kid doesn't forget that there's a family reunion this weekend or whatever. And you're normalizing using a calendar. So it's not, oh, I only have to use this because my brain is broken, which is not true. But everybody should be using calendars. It's how we function in this world that gets more and more complicated. Yeah, awesome. What else do we want to know if we have a new phone? There are accessibility settings that are amazing. We do tend to struggle with big blocks of text, even if we're amazing readers, because our eyes get lost. So it does actually take a little bit longer to keep on pace when we're reading. And there are accessibility settings where you can highlight text and ask your phone to read it to you. Those will be in accessibility settings on your phone. And there is a beautiful reading app called Voice Dream Reader. I've been using it practically since it was brand new. I'm on the beta team. I love this app. You can import PDFs into it. You can import Bookshare or Learning Ally books. And you can choose the font and use dyslexic-friendly fonts if kids have dyslexia. You can change so it's white on black. You can change the size of the font. You can have it gigantic. Gigantic dyslexic font, white on black, is the only way I can read with a migraine. But I can read with a migraine. What is the name of the app again? Voice Dream Reader. It is available on Android and iPhone. So I have a question sort of wandering off to the side specifically with teenagers in mind. What about things like Snapchat and the streaks of Snapchat and, and those apps that are seeking to just suck our time and waste it? Snapchat has streaks? I think, I'm pretty sure it's Snapchat. One of them has, has streaks where you're supposed to post every day to get the longest streak you can get. 
I'm a little queasy right now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Snapchat. I will check to confirm. That sounds like Snapchat. Oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I feel like I feel like you should have a competition to have the shortest streak. Yeah, Snapchat streaks is a thing. Be a trendsetter. Yeah. <laughs> that is horrifying. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes, that is using addiction research and addiction science to try to suck you in and use things that people use for, I'm trying to make good habits to make one that is of dubious quality. Yep. I mean, that's a, that's a thing that parents need to know about too, right? Is that, that there are folks with doing addiction research out there to get your kids addicted to the stuff on their phones. And so in the same way that we want to respect addiction as a disease and, and, try to not blame the person who is suffering from the addiction and instead help them to move beyond it. The same is true with your kids and their phones, especially when like the younger your kid is, the harder it's going to be for them to manage this phone that you're giving to them. So if you're, if you've got a 10 year old who has a phone, you have to have a ton of structures and systems in place to build boundaries around this phone and what's on it and what, what they can do with it so that they're not getting sucked into Snapchat and they're not getting sucked into TikTok because it's, they're just not mature enough to handle it yet. Yeah, it's important to be aware. I recommend against using the worst scare tactics, but I do find it useful when I'm talking to young people to talk about control because many of us can be a little bit stubborn with ADHD and we don't want someone else controlling our behavior, influencing our behavior, but that's exactly what's happening. And so I'll usually phrase it as you want to be in charge of what you're doing. You want to be in control, not let somebody else do it just because they're a developer of this thing that your friends like and talk to them about control because we only have so much and it does get used up by the end of the day. We do have to make sure we're sleeping enough and recovering and all of those good things to get a full set of resources again the next morning. And we're more likely to make choices that are what a developer chooses for us than what we chose for ourselves. The more tired we are, the more off balance and the more we've been fighting it all day. So if they have a really draining school schedule that they've been, you know, being good all day, it's going to be even harder to control those things and to, to have ourselves be in charge instead of the people that are getting to us through our devices. So just being mindful of time. Do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? These devices can be awesome. They can help us do the things that we want to do, feel more in control, feel less stressed, but they can also do the opposite. And deciding really what we want from them and then making choices so that we're in charge, not some developer, not the device maker. We're in charge of making sure this device is doing what we want it to do can be so empowering and so liberating. It can help us be less negatively impacted by our own ADHD or more. It's really up to us and up to us making mindful and deliberate choices about how we're using these devices. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts, or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.